Thanks for tuning into the Central Church Podcast. We exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow Him. To learn more about Central, access tons of content, and find the location nearest you, download our Central Church app. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message, and we're so glad you could join us today. All right. What's up, Central family? Nice to see you guys today. Big shout out to each of our Central family locations. Uh, Thanks, Central Summerlin, for being with us. Love you guys out in Summerlin. Huge thank you to Central Southern Highlands. Always grateful for you guys. Central Sunrise Mountain, killing it in that part of town. We're grateful for you. And lots of love for our Central Kingman family in Kingman, Arizona. Um, And then if you're joining us in our partnership with God Behind Bars in one of the 10 different prison facilities around the country that we meet in, we're grateful to have you guys with us today. Thanks for being with us. Well, we are talking about um, straight out of the 90s. We're having some fun with the 90s. And, and then we're looking at some classic stories in the Bible that give timeless truths really for any uh, generation and any decade. And, um, you know, when it comes to the 90s, we all have a different relationship with the 90s. You know, for some of you, you weren't even born <laughs> when the 90s rolled around, so you have no idea what we're talking about. Um, for others of you, you know, this is history. That's what this is. Uh, For for others of you, you know, you were a kid in the 90s, so this was your growing up years, or maybe you were a young adult, Uh, maybe you were, um, you know, in midlife, middle age, we're all kind of a different relationship. But for me, I was moving into college in the beginning of the 90s. So the first part of the 90s for me was uh, a lot of tests and lectures and a lot of time in the library, because I was not a crazy party kid in college. I was really focused. I was crazy in high school. (laughs) I got all that worked out before I went to college, right? I got to college. And I was the guy who was like, man, no, I, I got I to gotta make some progress here. So when I think about the 90s, I, just some different thoughts that come to my mind. Um, I remember going to the gym for, it seemed like for the longest time, and General Norman Schwarzkopf would be on the cable news network televisions giving the desert storm update for the day because the Gulf War was happening early 90s. You know, I remember that happening all the time. I can remember seeing on the television OJ in the white Bronco on the live feed. I'm old enough, kids, to remember the live feed as he's fleeing from the law and they're flying over in helicopters, right? Right? You know, stuff of documentaries today, I was there. Um, I remember when Kurt Cobain took his life, how shocking that was. When Princess Diana died, that was in the 90s, how shocking that was. Uh, but my favorite thing that happened in the 90s was I saw this beautiful young girl named Lori. <laughs> and uh, it was in the mid-90s. I, I took her out to eat at this restaurant that was in the tallest building in the city that we lived in. And my plan was we were going to eat, have a great meal. And then I was going to take her for a walk in the park, this park where we first met. And I was going to ask her to marry me and had it all planned out. And we're sitting there eating and I looked outside and it's pouring down rain. And I remember thinking like, I'm going to have to ask her right now, right here. It's, but I didn't have the ring. The ring was down in the car. So I said, you know, excuse me, I need to go to the restroom. So, you know, I acted like I went to the restroom, got on the elevator, went all these stories down, ran out to the car, ran back in, never thought about the fact that I had water all over my face, all over my clothes, on my glasses. You know, like I walked back up all casual, like, yeah, I just took a little bathroom break. No big deal. And so Lori says, like, where, where, where have you been? I said, oh, you know, I just, I just went to the bathroom. And, and she goes, you're wet. And I said, oh, well, um, 
And then just kind of a moment where the romance side of me really emerged. I said, you know, I forgot my nasal spray. I left it down in my car. And so I went to get my nasal spray and she goes, oh wait, I have your nasal spray right here in my purse. And she gets it out. And literally right after that, I got down on my knee and I said, will you marry me? Because what do you say after the nasal spray comes out? You know, like. But those were the 90s for me. Uh, one person that I always think of when I think of the 90s is uh, this guy right here. Maybe you'll recognize him. We'll bring him up on the screen. MC Hammer. Hammer time. I mean, in the 90s, you didn't want moves like Jagger. You wanted moves like Hammer. Right? And uh, he had all these hits in the 90s. You can't touch this. Pray. You know, like, um, too legit to quit. Come on. Guy made a lot of money in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, millions of dollars, um, and burned through all that money, too. It was in 96. It was super shocking, you know, after this guy who'd, who'd uh, made so many hits and had literally, he had a cartoon called Hammer Time. I mean, when you've got your own cartoon, you've arrived, you know, like you're making guest appearances on TV shows all over the place, and then to kind of get to a place where he declared bankruptcy in 1996. And I mean, there was this collective gasp, like, what? And later it kind of came out, you know, I mean, yes, he lived um, a very generous life. He supported over 200 people on his personal payroll. Many of them were kids from the streets that he grew up with. He was trying to give them opportunities, but as he would say, maybe not in the best way, looking back on it, you know, and he burned through a lot of that money. When I think about MC Hammer, I think about the dangers of success, because after he declared bankruptcy, there were all these legal battles about uh, copyright infringements related to his music, and then, you know, the hits just weren't coming anymore, and it just sort of all collapsed on itself. And I think about our lives. You know, success is a, a wonderful thing, but it can also be a very dangerous thing. In fact, the greatest threat to today's success is, or to, to tomorrow's success is today's success, right? Like, when you're doing well, when things are going well, it's easy to start thinking, you can't touch this. You can't touch this, man. I, I got it. I got it all under control, right? I don't need any help. Things are going well. I'm good. I'm good to go. And we can kind of start to take a little bit of an attitude. We can even allow pride to creep in our hearts when things are going well. And we're like, you know, I'm, I'm good on my own. I don't need advice. I don't need help. And the Bible teaches us that pride comes before the fall. And so today's success in many ways is the greatest threat to tomorrow's success. And I want to talk to you today about how we can continue to enjoy some success in our lives. I hope you're having some success. I believe as you follow Jesus faithfully in your life, he doesn't promise you a life that's perfect or easy, but I believe in the things that matter most as you get your values aligned to God and you get your heart aligned to him, you'll start to experience success in the things that really matter. And you'll start to experience love and joy and peace and the things that, you know, money can't even buy, the most important things. But for all of that to happen in our lives, we've got to stay humble and stay hungry and stay surrendered and committed to God. So I want to talk to you today about how we can do that in our lives. And I want to look at a story uh, in Judges chapter 16. We're going to go back a little bit. Last week we talked about the fresh prince, not of Bel Air, but of Egypt. We talked about Moses. This week I want to jump forward a few, uh, just a few more books in the Bible to the book of Judges and look at the story 
of Samson. This is a great story. Now, Judges is a fascinating book because the Israelites are living in the promised land and they don't really have a king. They don't really have like this super um, organized, structured political environment. They have God's law. They have his commands. But the problem is every time they start following God's law and his commands, every time they humble themselves and um, worship God and do what he says, they begin to have success, right? And they begin to get comfortable because they're doing life God's way. And inevitably, once they kind of start to get comfortable, they stop depending on God, they stop seeking God, they start kind of going their own way. And then, you know, God allows foreign nations to come in and their you know, security gets threatened, their peace gets threatened. And so God would raise up a judge. Now in the Hebrew language, judge simply means a rescuer. God would raise up a rescuer. And you see this cycle in the judges. God raises up a rescuer. He leads the Israelites to peace. There's peace in the land for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. And then this phrase you see again and again, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And inevitably we start the cycle all over again. So success became a threat to future success. So the last judge is a guy named Samson. God raises Samson up as a rescuer to come and rescue his people. And um, Samson is a fascinating look in the Bible at somebody who had all kinds of success and all kinds of power. He was born uh, with tremendous physical strength. He had this supernatural gift of strength. He had to take a Nazarite vow as from, from being from birth. A Nazarite vow basically implied three things. Um, he was not to touch any uh, anything that was dead, no dead bodies, don't touch a dead body. He was not to drink wine and he was not to ever cut his hair. And if he never did those three things, he would always have this incredible strength that God gave him in his life. And you read through Samson's life, there's these crazy stories, like there's this like Lord of the Rings kind of scene where he picks up a jawbone off the ground and you know takes out a whole army. Take that, 300. Um, there's, you know, at one point, you know, a lion attacks him. He rips the lion apart with his bare hands, you know, like he, all these stories of just insane strength. At one point they tried to pin him back, you know, when he, uh, they, they, uh, Philistines, the, the, the neighboring enemy community, uh, was trying to pin him back and, and, uh, trap him in a city and he goes to the gates of the city, these huge gates. And he literally just lifts the gates up off the city. He had this crazy kind of strength and the, Philistines realized that while he had great outside strength, he also had a lot of vices and weaknesses. Samson was cruel in many ways. He was into revenge in many ways. He was compulsive and he was probably a sexual addict. I mean, you read through the account in Judges and if he's not with a prostitute, he's fallen in love with a foreign woman and, and you know, inviting her into a relation. All the things he's not supposed to do in that time, in that era, Samson does again and again. You know, the first words out of Samson's mouth, Judges chapter 14, verse 2, he basically says, I saw a woman. And that says it all right there. That was his thing, right? Like, you know, everybody's got weaknesses. Everybody's got issues they have to be aware of in their life. This was Samson's and he lets it go totally unchecked. So he meets a girl named Delilah. Ooh, Delilah. 
and the whole thing changes. Check this out. Judges chapter 16, beginning of verse 4. The way we do this is central. I'm going to read this scripture out loud. We'll bring it up on the screens. When we get to the red word, everybody read the red word out loud with me. That's how we make sure everybody's awake. All right, Judges chapter 16, beginning of verse 4. Sometimes later, sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said what? Entice, <laughs> entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So they're trying to make a deal, right? They're like, hey, we need you to like set him up, Delilah. We need you to go in and figure out what is the secret to this crazy superhuman strength that he has. Now remember, for 20 years, he's been the leader of the Israelite people. And that doesn't mean he was a leader like a political leader. It just means that he was a rescuer, a military might. He was muscle if they needed it with the Philistine people to push them back. And so they realize that there's a lot of things that are unchecked in his life. And if Delilah can find out, then they send her on a mission to do that. They offer an incredible amount of money. Can you imagine what this offer would have been like for a woman in that culture? Didn't have a lot of power, a lot of influence. Here's all of her own people, the Philistine people saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to make you rich. You're going to be a national hero. You know, like everybody's going to tell your story, Delilah. All you got to do is find out what's going on with Samson. And so she goes on a mission. How do we in our lives experience continued success without falling into many of the traps of success? One of the first principles from this story is this, sweat the small stuff. Sweat the small stuff. I know we always say, like, don't sweat the small stuff when it comes to worry, got that, yes. But when it comes to character and integrity, sweat the small stuff in your life. When it comes to your word, being truthful, being honest, sweat the small stuff. When it comes to being truthful with the people that you love, sweat the small stuff. Because when you think about it, if you don't sweat the small stuff, pretty soon it becomes the big stuff, right? You don't sweat the small stuff, it becomes the big stuff. One of my favorite things about the 90s was uh, Jay Leno. Jay Leno would come out on The Tonight Show and he would do these um, just announcements from clippings they found in the newspapers around the country. And I don't know where he found this stuff, but it was always like very unfortunate last names of different couples who were getting married. These wedding announcements, right? Uh, like we'll just bring some of these up on the screen, like the poor sap wedding. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. Let's move through these. Uh, the more bacon wedding. Who, who doesn't want more bacon, right? I'm all for, uh, for more bacon. Uh, the rough goings exchange vows. Rough goings, there it is. And then rather and grim, rather grim. Uh, Samson and Delilah is a pretty grim story from the beginning. I mean, it's, uh, she's from a foreign people uh, that are actually the enemy of the Israelites. Samson uh, eventually falls in love with her. It never says that she falls in love with him, but he falls in love with her. Uh, this is not his wife. This is typical of Samson. This is how he rolls, and he's impulsive, and he just does what he wants when he wants it, and it's always been fine. In fact, he's always had incredible success, but listen, I think Samson could have gotten confused and started to believe that God's patience was the same thing as God's approval. Think about this. You may do some things, you may tell a lie, nothing bad happens. Actually, good things might come from that lie. Like, oh yeah, let ease the pressure, everything's cool. So you tell another lie, right? So you tell another lie and you tell another lie and you're like, you can start to believe the rules don't apply to me. 
Rules apply to everybody else, but the rules don't apply to me, obviously. Like, I've done this all my life. And look, it doesn't apply to me. It hasn't affected me. But don't confuse God's patience with God's approval. Just because God is full of grace, just because he gives us a lot of leeway and patience, right, doesn't mean the day won't come when there is a reckoning for some of our actions and for some of the things we do. Eventually, you keep lying to the people that you love the most, they're going to find out. Eventually, it's going to break trust down. It's going to destroy relationships. Eventually, there are going to be all kinds of consequences. I think Samson was at a place in his life where, listen, because he was strong in one area, he assumed that he was strong in every area. And that is a huge mistake we make in our lives. You may be really good in one area in your life, really strong in one area, but don't assume that because you're strong in one area, you're strong in every area. The Bible says this. It says if we will humble ourselves, that God will exalt us and lift us up. In other words, if we'll come to God and say, God, I need your strength. I need your power. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. I'm just a human being. I'm dependent on you. I humble myself before you. I commit myself to you. If we'll come with that kind of heart and attitude, God will lift us up. If you come to God and you're weak and hurting, God can use you and move in your life. Listen, God can use you no matter how weak you feel. The only time God can't use you, it's not about weakness, it's about pride. When you come with a proud heart, well, that's a different conversation. So you can come with a weak heart and a broken heart and a hurting heart, and God can move and work in that in a powerful way. If you come with a proud heart, you come with a proud heart, and I think God's going to humble you (laughs) to get to a place where your heart is open, and again, he can move and work in your life. So, In Samson's story, Delilah comes along and she's like, all right, she's doing her deal. Now, Delilah gets a lot of like um, negative press over this whole thing because it's like Delilah set him up and Delilah sold him out. And I'm like, Delilah just did what you do when you live in that culture. And these were enemy cultures, right? These were enemy people groups. I don't really blame her. I mean, I feel like she just did what anybody would do in that situation, considering where she was coming from and what she was facing in her life. In other words, she treated Samson like an enemy and he was an enemy. But he fell in love with her and he played a very dangerous game with her. At one point she comes to him, the Hebrew text kind of implies that she's talking like she's gullible or just kind of, you know, like doesn't really know anything. She's like, what what gives you your strength? And he, you know, he starts making these jokes. He says, well, if you tie me up with bowstrings, then that takes all my strengths away. So, you know, when he falls asleep, she ties him up with bowstrings and he wakes up and he's like, ah, and he breaks the bowstrings. (laughs) Ha ha ha, she's laughing. Joke's on me, that was funny, you were joking, you know. And you're like, what is Samson thinking? Because he keeps playing along, right? Next time they get in this whole thing, like they go back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, he, he lets, he gets closer to the truth. He goes, you know, if you take my hair and you put it, he's gotta have, if you take my braids of hair and you put it in a loom, a weaving loom, Then I lose all my strength. So she gets a loom, he's asleep, she weaves the braids of some of his hair in the loom, and then he wakes up and, you know, he turns around and basically pulls his hair out and it's like, oh yeah, you're just joking again. But she kept at it. She kept at it. She kept at it. Until the Hebrew text says, he was literally vexed to death. 
Come on, somebody. You ever been nagged to the ever loving last bit of your strength and willpower? Some of you got some honeydew lists right now. And if you get asked to do that thing one more time, you're going to lose your mind, right? You know, like you just, you just, it's like, it's like the Chinese torture drip method, you know, drip, drip, drip. She just keeps coming at him, keeps coming at him, keeps coming at him. And finally he's frustrated. He's tired. He loves her. And then she starts to play the love card. She says, if you really love me, There's probably a point I could make in this, but I'm going home to my wife tonight and I'm not gonna make that point. <laughs> if you love me, she says, you'll, give, you'll tell me the source of your strength. So this is what we read, Judges chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. It says, finally, Samson shared his what? Secret, he shared the secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. And if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. So he tells her the secret. You're like, dude, this is like uh, Superman telling Lex Luthor about kryptonite. You're kind of like, what is wrong with you? And I don't know, I mean, you know, you, first of all, you can read through the story of Samson, and this guy is a first-class idiot if you read through the story. You're just like, dude, you don't, you don't even have a, there's two brain cells, and you burned one of them up already, okay? You know, like, you read through his life, that's what you think. I mean, go do it for yourself. And you see if you don't think like, I, you're just like, dude, really? Like, you're impulsive, you're, you just kind of go with whatever you're wanting to do in the moment. You don't think about the consequences. But many scholars say, you know, don't underestimate Samson. He was actually smarter than a lot of people give him credit for, that his strategy was to look like an idiot. And his strategy was to just look like muscle. And his strategy was to draw people in, and he did it several times throughout the book of Judges, to draw his enemy in, to underestimate him, and then turn on him and destroy them. So he led Israel for 20 years, that's pretty good, as a military strategist. So what's going on here? Is he just a fool? Does he not, is he, is he working some kind of strategy? I don't know, but here's what I do know. I think Samson felt like it will never happen to me. Like, even if they cut my hair, it will never happen to me. And this is a, an attitude that pride leads us into, isn't it? It won't happen to me, I'm above the rules. I mean, maybe you in your life, you know, you think about just people and what they do. We, we do this all the time. We walk around with this perspective. It'll never happen to me. Car wreck. Oh, it'll never happen to me. So you get in the car, you text while you drive, you get in after having too many drinks. It won't, it won't happen to me. Uh, a relationship breakup. It'll never happen to me. So, you know, you're harsh to the person that you're in a relationship with. You say things that, you know, if you were an outsider looking in, you'd be shocked, but, but it'll never happen to me. Uh, again and again, drifting from God. We think, oh, that, that'll never happen to me, right? Like it's never. And so, you know, you miss church for a week or two weeks or three weeks. You, you don't open your Bible. You don't pray. You don't engage or worship and pretty soon a month goes by and two months goes by and three months goes by and six months goes by and and then you you know you all of a sudden you feel like God is a million miles away well who moved right we move and we assume it can't happen to us we're beyond that in our lives but then we find ourselves if we're not careful in that very situation today's success is in many ways the greatest threat to tomorrow's success in our lives. 
So we gotta stay humble and hungry and sweat the small stuff. I don't know what you have going on in your life right now, but whatever it is, I want you to think about the small stuff in your life. Just focus on being honest with the people around you, being honest at work, telling the truth, um, holding to your word. I know it's revolutionary in our culture to actually do those things. And it's countercultural. But I believe with all my heart, if we will live God's way, if we will do the right thing, eventually the right things will happen. If we will live with honesty and integrity, eventually there is a fruit that will come from that. Um, but we gotta sweat the small stuff for that to happen. Here's another idea, and that's just to plug in to God's strength in your life. Plug into God's strength in your life. Uh, I saw this slide. I thought it was pretty funny. We'll bring it up uh, here on the screens of this um, plug. And I uh, just said this, why won't my power strip turn on? I have everything plugged in. <laughs> it's kind of corny, but it's about at my level. So I got a power strip up here because if I'm honest, like this is often how I live my life. You know, I know I should be plugged into God. I should be getting my strength from him, but I parent in my own strength and power. I face challenges in my own strength and power. I go after things in my own strength and power. Listen, if you're a person who says things like, if you want it done right, then you need to do it yourself. This may be you. Right? If you're impatient and you struggle with patience and you hate waiting in line, <laughs> this may be you. If you have perfectionist tendencies and it's got to be just perfect and just right, this, this may be you. You know why I know that? Because that's me. I'm right there with you. And the tendency sometimes is we try to do things in our own power and in our own strength. And then, you know, you can do that for a while, but you can't do that forever. And eventually you come to the end of yourself. Samson has been doing things in his own strength in many ways for a long time. Now he had supernatural strength from God, but it seems like he had totally drifted in his relationship with God and just began to assume that because I'm Samson, you can't touch this. I got it. And so basically he reveals the secret to Delilah. She brings the barbers in while he's sleeping and they cut his hair. And then all of a sudden she wakes him up and here's what we read, Judges chapter 16, beginning in verse 20. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before. See it? I'll do as before, even though, you know, I'll do as before. I'll shake myself free. But he didn't what? Realize. He didn't realize that the Lord, what? Had left him. Now, you got to be pretty far from God to be at a place in your life where you don't even realize when the Lord's left you. He didn't realize his strength had left him. God had left him in that sense. And so the Philistines captured him. They gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. You can go for months and even years and think the rules don't apply to you, but eventually, if you think the rules don't apply to you, those very rules will wreck you, right? You can go for a long time and assume God's patience means his approval, but eventually if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you and he'll bring you back to himself. And Samson tried to do it his own way. 
He tried to go at it. I got it. Everything's good. And, you know, he comes to this horrible, sad, tragic situation. He's in prison. It's oppressive. It's awful. His eyes have been gouged out. He's blind. Some of you, maybe you feel like you've been through a Samson experience. You've been humbled. Things didn't work out. The business you started flipped upside down. You had to declare bankruptcy. A marriage dissolved and the family split apart. And it feels like you're at rock bottom. And listen, rock bottom is a great foundation for a comeback. Rock bottom is a great solid place to relaunch from, right? Again, God, it's not that God will use you if you're weak and if you're hurting and if you're broken. Pride is what blocks, in many ways, God being involved, working in our lives. But you humble yourself, and the Lord will lift you up. Judges chapter 16, very next verse, tells us this. Here's Samson in prison, but I want you to notice what it said. But before long, his hair began to what? Grow back. Before long, his hair began to grow back. I don't know what you've been through or what you've done in your life, but I know that failure is not final. I know that no matter what you maybe have faced or have experienced, God is in the business of growing us back, bringing us back, helping us get back on our feet, helping us get back in the game, helping us get back on our purpose, helping us get back to using our gifts, helping us walk back in his will and in his purpose in our lives. And here's Samson. The whole world started to forget about him now. He's locked away in prison, but before long, his hair started to grow back and his heart was at a different place. And you see this moment where the Philistines take Samson and they bring him up in their temple. Now remember, the Philistines are the enemies of the people of God. You got to kind of put it in the Old Testament culture, right? So, so they want Samson's destruction. They want the Israelites' destruction. And so they bring Samson up in their temple, the temple of Dagon. In the Temple of Dagon, there's like a balcony area where all the leaders would sit. And many of the leaders are seated there, and there's an under area where people are standing, and all these people around. And they basically chain him to these pillars, and they just humiliate him and laugh at him. I mean, the Philistines are going after it, right? They're like, yeah, let's bring Samson up. But now his hair started to grow back. And so some people say his last act was just an act of revenge and vengeance. But other people say, when you look at the text, it seems almost like an act of humility and a sacrifice that he makes at the end. But he realizes these are the people who want to destroy my people. These may have been some of the people who sold him out and betrayed him. These were the men that took his eyes and put him in prison and wanted to hurt his family and his friends. So the Bible says that he said this to God. He said, oh, sovereign Lord, Strengthen me one more time. Now that's humility, right? That's realizing that it's God's strength that I need in my life that can work in my strength. That's not Samson from a few verses earlier. This is Samson after he's been humbled. Oh God, strengthen me one more time. And he bends over. Bible says he puts his hands on the pillars, pushes with all his might, pushes the pillars out and the whole structure collapses, killing him and many of them who were present. It's a tragic end to a tragic story. The last judge, and in many ways, 
uh, a tale, I think, for all of us to look at and realize, look, Samson was at his strongest when he humbled himself before the Lord. That's where he was at his strongest. That's where his strength really came out. If you think the rules don't apply to you, <laughs> you're going to be very sad at some point in your life because none of us are beyond the rules, God's rules especially. But in our lives, if we'll humble ourselves and come back to God, and maybe some of you are here today and you've been going through a terrible time in your life and you just need to come back. Maybe all you need from this message this week is when things get hard, you just pray, God, strengthen me again. Maybe you feel like as a parent, if your kid has a meltdown at the grocery store one more time, you're not gonna know how to handle yourself. You're not gonna know what to do. You're at an absolute end. God, strengthen me one more time. Maybe you're at work and you feel like if one more person is mean to me, if one more person complains to me, if one more person looks at me, God, strengthen me one more time, right? Maybe that's how you feel in your marriage, you know? You walk in and there he is, you know, same old dude, same old stuff, same old breath, same old gut, whatever, right? And you're like, God, strengthen me one more time. But that's an act of humility when we begin to depend on God. And so I hope you get tremendous success in your life, but remember, all of your success only remains success as you remain dependent on God. Don't let your success get in the way of your future success, right? <laughs> Biggest movie of the 90s, Titanic. Titanic, huge, right? At least one of the biggest, huge. Love it or hate it. Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, out on the bow, you know, Celine Dion singing, my heart will go on here now, right? Stop. Sorry. Titanic was the greatest ship to ever sail on the oceans. It was thought to be unsinkable. It'll never sink. Some researchers and scholars published a book in the last few years, um, and it's called What Really Sank the Titanic. Uh, New Forensic Discoveries was the title of the book. What they found is that it wasn't the iceberg that the Titanic hit that sunk it. Other ships had hit icebergs in similar situations and been just fine. And even if they would have hit an iceberg and it somehow was able to actually pierce that huge steel hull, water would not have come in at the rate that it came in. They would have still had time to get rescue units out to the people and ultimately save them. But what they found in looking back through the logs and doing all kinds of you know, high level, very expensive testing is that what sunk the Titanic was three million little rivets. The company that built the ship had chosen to cut some corners to not sweat the small stuff when it came to the iron that was used in the rivets that held the steel hull to the ship. And so when the steel hit the iceberg, it put so much pressure on those rivets with substandard iron that suddenly the whole hull began to open up. And that's why it took on water so fast and for the size and scope of the ship sank as fast as it did. That was the ship that was never supposed to sink. And it just reminds us, sweat the small stuff. Stay connected to God's power. 
How many people have been successful, have had God do all kinds of things in their life, but they allowed their giftedness to take them where their character could not sustain them. They allowed their success to begin to blind them to being humble before God. And because they didn't mind the details, eventually they found themselves shipwrecked and everything going under. And friends, we don't have to go that way. You know, it was Ice Cube, the great theologian of the 90s, who said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. And that's really all I'm trying to say to you today. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Maybe you're here today, maybe you've never crossed the line of faith in your life. I want you to know God loves you. Christ wants to do a work in your life. He wants to forgive you for your sins, give you the gift of eternal life, help you find a church family, help you find peace and joy and hope and meaning and purpose in your life. And listen, he will do it. If you'll surrender your heart and your life to him, he will give you all those things and more. I know it because I've experienced it. We know it because we've experienced it. Put your hands together if you know that. So I want to give you a chance to experience that. And I want to invite you to just repeat a simple prayer after me, just opening your heart to God, asking him to move and work in your life. Would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, you can begin that journey by repeating this prayer after me. Say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air wherever you're at. Just reach out to God in your life. If you're watching online, if you're in a prison facility, whatever location you may be at, just slip your hand in the air if that's your decision today to follow Jesus in your life. It's a decision you'll never regret. God, I thank you for each person just reaching out to you. I pray you'll fill them with your love, your joy, your spirit. Let them know they're not alone. For all of us, God, may we find strength and purpose and meaning as we follow you faithfully this week. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.